friends. Welcome back to the Industrial Marketing Show, the number one podcast for marketers in the manufacturing space. And I am one of your hosts, Matthew Shinoa. And I'm MJ Peters. Is that a hot take, the number one podcast, or is that just like a regular? <laughs> uh, no, it's it's not a hot take right now compared to what I've seen in the industry. We're, we're delivering the best value here. Qualitative insights tell me this is true. All right. <laughs> so this week's show, I have my old colleague, um, my Padawan, I'm super, super pumped to have her here, Mary Keogh who is a senior strategist now for Gorilla76. Joe and John smartly promoted her after I left. What is going on, Mary? Welcome. What's up, guys? I'm so excited to be here. All right. So uh, I suggested to MJ that we bring on Mary because Mary's been more on fire on LinkedIn than MJ and I combined the past couple of weeks. And so I thought that it would be a great time to bring her on because uh, I don't want to I don't want to pump up Mary too much, but the minute, minute I hired her, I knew she was just going to be a really fast riser, and she has absolutely been that. And uh, frankly, she's just she's just earned the right for us to ask her to be on here. And so I just wanted to have her on. And honestly, we're just going to keep it a little bit open-ended, and we're going to kind of bring some spicy hot takes that we sense in the manufacturing space for marketers, um, especially now, you know, given that I've spent six years of my career in the manufacturing uh, space doing marketing. And now I work primarily with software companies. Uh, MJ obviously has experience going both ways. And uh, Mary's certainly getting baptism by fire working with several manufacturing companies in a marketing capacity and is seeing all the holes. So <laughs> we thought we uh, come with uh, three different kind of perspectives on that. And we thought we'd each bring a, a hot take and then dissect it with one another. So with that said, um, we're going to let our guest start because we're very polite. So, uh, Mary, first off, introduce yourself a little bit. Hey there. And then, hey, everyone. Well, and then go right into your uh, your hot take. You got it. So I am Mary Keo, senior strategist at Gorilla76, like Matt said. Prior to that, I was um, working five years for a spray nozzle manufacturer in a combination of technical writing, then kind of a business development role, and then into marketing. So that's my... Uh, pre-gorilla stats for you. All right. So my All right. hot take, take it off. and this is something I experienced at my old job. My hot take is if you are looking for a top tier marketer in an industrial manufacturing company, it is a giant red flag if they report to the VP of sales. And it's a double red flag if they report to the VP of sales and marketing. So, so like you're saying, if um, if you're trying to hire a marketer for your business, and like it says in the job description, this role reports to the VP of Sales, that you're not going to get the candidates that you want to apply to that role. Correct. Okay. Let me yeah. ask you, like, l- let me give you a flip on that question. If the person yeah. reported to the VP of Sales or Marketing, and you were looking to hire them, would that be a red flag for you as the hiring person? Ooh, that's a good question. Not necessarily, no, because maybe they just like, they don't know, you know, they don't know what they don't know kind of thing. Um, But that would be, so if I was like applying for an industrial, like internal job, first of all, I'd probably only be applying for director positions anyways, but I would want to report directly to the CEO. So that's kind of like my hot take. I think if you are reporting to a VP of sales, that means you are at the behest of sales and you're probably tied to sales revenue and goal numbers. And if it's not even like that advanced, which it's not in most industrial manufacturing companies, no. you probably might not even have a goal. Um, <laughs> then you're just basically doing like sales support. 
Yeah, you might be you might be a sales admin assistant, basically, with the title exactly. of marketing under you, which happens. I've actually seen um, roles posted as like marketing manager and office assistant, and I'm like, oh no, yeah, that's, that's, that's not a that's not a real marketing job for those of you looking to break into marketing or who are going into marketing in, with industrial companies. You are basically an office manager, and you are a marketing person second. So right. I will say, I will say um, one thing to think about here, though, is like the amount of experience that you bring to the table. Yeah. So um, my first couple of roles, I definitely was reporting to a VP of sales and marketing, but like VP of sales, big letters and marketing, small letters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was OK. It's not as good as reporting to the CEO, but like you can learn a lot there. There's usually not a ton of scrutiny on what you're doing. You can just kind of get away with whatever you want. You're probably not going to have a budget, but like. You know, um, if you don't have a ton of experience to bring to the table, you might not be in a, a really great bargaining position, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And frankly, like there aren't that many roles available in industrial where you're reporting direct to the CEO. So if you want to use that as a stepping stone, hey, I'll report to the VPSLs first, crush it, and then be the top candidate for a, a new role that reports to a CEO. I think that's a that's a probably a pragmatic way to go about it. Yeah, I yeah, would agree with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, and I, I think. Oh, good. Yeah, I think getting that clear in the interview process too is really um, key. What I see in industrial a lot is like you'll get into a manufacturing position and like maybe like you said, it's like a VP of sales and marketing. You could ask like, hey, just curious, like what does your promotion structure look like if I reach these goals that I would, you know, theoretically set for myself, would I be in line to maybe receive some kind of like title promotion? Um, that could be kind of interesting because I know <laughs> at my old company, it was like, you get promoted if someone like retires or leaves. That was like yeah. the only promotion options you had. Yeah. So I think you kind of, you nailed it, Mary. I think really it goes to the interview process. And, you know, I, I keep saying this and whenever we talk about hiring or looking for marketing jobs, but like you need to understand when you're the person applying for the job and you get the interview, you get a chance to interview the company too. It's not just a one-way street where they ask you how good you are at your job and you feel like you have absolutely no leverage. If you know your stuff and if you know marketing, you're going to know more about marketing than anybody in that higher in that interview room, almost flat out. Uh, so stand, so stand, so stand with your convictions. But just know you're going to get a chance to ask questions to the VP of Sales if that's the person you will prospectively be reporting to, and just fight, figure it out. I mean, ask how much latitude do I get to run this program the way that I want to run it without you interfering in it. What like what am I going to be doing for the sales team potentially that may take away from doing something that I would consider to be marketing and not sales assistant, and you know get, get a sense for whether you think that sales director is or that VP of sales is going to give you the room to operate and and you know do marketing. I will say from my experience, and I was very fortunate. And I think I'm an exception to the rule, but. When I interviewed at Benzel and I interviewed with the director of sales and that was who I was going to report to as the marketing manager, he made it crystal clear to me, like, you're going to get a chance to run the marketing department as you see fit because I want someone there who's going to take this by the by the handle and drive it. I don't want to do it. And I don't and I don't want you to be uh, we sell through distribution. I don't need you to be supporting distribution. I don't believe in marketing, spending time supporting that anyway. Uh, in this business. So, you know, I want you doing things digital. We do not have a digital footprint and we need it. 
And, you know, if you find it's VP of sales or director of sales when you're interviewing, who has that kind of outlook on the world, that's going to be a really good fit for you, even if you have to report to that person. So understand you get a chance to interview that person yourself and figure out whether it's going to be a good fit for you, even if it's not the most ideal reporting structure. Yeah, uh, it's funny. My original reason for getting on LinkedIn and posting all the time was to uh, slowly chip away and organically create more people with that mindset, whether it was the CEO or the director of sales. I'm like, I'm just going to be out here posting stuff that sounds smart and strategic and people in industrial are eventually going to see that marketing can be smart and strategic and they're going to open up a role like that one that you just described. So hopefully there's more roles now than there used to be. And hopefully there will continue to be more great roles like that popping up in industrial companies. Yeah, for sure. All right. So you, you, you talked about Mary real quick, last question before we jump to the next hot take, but you had mentioned like uh, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's a bad, it's, it's basically a bad fit. Um, you know, what would you say to the hiring people who are like looking for roles of that and thinking like, well, they have to report to the director of sales. Like, how would you how would you get them to reconsider the kind of way that they would uh, assign that role, give that role responsibility, like tell that role who they're going to be reporting to? What would be an ideal structure? Let's say if it can't be the president of the CEO, maybe it could be someone else. Maybe it's the product manager or something like that. Yeah, I actually think that's a really great idea. And in these like more developed industrial companies, like this is how it was at um, Spring Systems, where it's like you have like product development teams, right? So I wouldn't mind if it was like you're going to be the marketing director for these three product teams and your job is going to be developing a go-to-market strategy for these three products. Like I think that's great. Tons of room to grow. You can build a great portfolio. You're going to have awesome assets for your resume. And like MJ said, you can start posting on LinkedIn about everything you're doing for those products. That's awesome. I would definitely right. prefer a product product manager over a VP of sales. Okay. Product managers in industrial companies are tend to be pretty strategic. That's probably a hot take. Product managers in industrial companies are uh, tend, tend to be more market-led than product managers in software companies. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's hot. It's not hot though. It's, true. it's like, it's actually, I mean, p- people in software don't know this cause they don't know a thing about industrial, but it's true. Yeah, industrial is pretty good at, at product. They are very good at it. They are because they, because they, they understand at the, at, they understand from ground zero. It's super, it's super important to the health of their business. Well, and um, you spend so much money developing a product, right? Yes. Like, like Agile actually almost in- incentivizes like not being market led because you're like every bet you're making is so much smaller. You're not betting a million dollars on something that no one's going to use, right? Exactly. All right. Go ahead with your hot take, MJ, because it was my second hot take and we might as well, let's, uh, since we're both in, in agreement on this role. Yeah, my hot take is as a hiring manager um, in SaaS, industrial SaaS though, uh, I think I'd rather hire the candidate uh, who is crushing it as a one-person marketing team in an industrial company. Genuinely crushing it, though, not like a just average middle-of-the-pack person, like someone who's, who's really driving things forward, um, than someone with SaaS experience who's part of a much larger company. Because uh, in a small startup environment uh, like what we're in, I need people who can just figure out how to do stuff. And actually, a lot of people, even though they have SaaS experience... Um, that work in big companies, like they're used to processes being in place. They're used to like getting customer insights from the user research team or whatever. Like it doesn't matter uh, what kind of company you're in. A big, if you're in a small company, you need to just like figure it out yourself. And a lot of industrial marketers are great at figuring it out themselves. All right. This is a great take. 
I'm, I'm going to ask a slight pushback question here just to see what your take is on this. So I generally agree with this take because this is exactly how I cut my teeth. I was a one-person marketing department for basically four years, and I learned how to do everything from trade shows to digital to content to uh, marketing ops. You know, I just I had to do it. Um, but one thing that I re- realized when I left it, left industrial, I didn't come out of it with a lot of great tools, processes, um, let's say like uh, systems in place for how to measure stuff like that. That that stuff was stuff that was not mature for me. It was I had that very scrappy attitude, and I was good at everything. So do you do you just place more value on that scrappy, good at everything, maybe not quite refined in a certain area yet over someone who could maybe bring a little polish to your to your department and in the way that they would analyze or measure stuff or just bring sort of the the, the templates that they may have that you maybe don't have? Yeah, well, you got to know what you're hiring for, right? Like um, product marketing, for example, like I'm probably going to hire somebody who is like a real like trained product marketer, right? Who really knows how to run a customer interview, who really knows how hard it is to even get a customer on the phone. And like a jack of all trades person may have done that. But like the reason I can do that, for example, is because Halma gives you like very rigorous product marketing training, right? Mm -hmm. If, you know, absent that, I'm going to hire someone whose job title was product marketing. Like I am skipping over marketing generalist resumes when I'm hiring for that role. If I'm hiring for demand gen manager or growth marketing manager or content marketing manager, I think the jack of all all trades is going to pull it off. Um, And like, I don't think you need super refined processes in a series A startup. Like you probably need them in series B, C, D, right? My hiring approach is going to change as Colab inevitably scales up and takes over the world. But right (laughs) now uh, I'm looking for scrappy. Okay. You got, you got a, you got any feedback on that one, Mary? Yeah, I love it. Um, you are, as a marketing specialist, marketing generalist, you know, pick whatever term you want to in industrial, you're creating an entire, you're basically creating your own day. I mean, you have to do a few things, but I mean, you have a ton of time to explore, learn, and then refine and execute. So like to your point, Matt, like, I think I was the first marketer that ever asked to see our CRM. It was like, wait, what? Why do you want to see the CRM? And I was like, well, I just want to like, see how many leads we get in and if they turn into opportunities and if they turn, why? I was like, well, because in the CRM, you can see where they came from. And they were like, you you can? (laughs) Like, it was just like total mind blown. So like, that was super fun for me to just be the first person that did that. And it like definitely made an impression. Yeah, I, I, first off, MJ, I completely agree. I used to think, you know, I, I remember this because when I was thinking about leaving Binzel and, and thinking about, well, what, what would my next move be? And I know this. I know there's plenty of people who are listening to this podcast and maybe feel this way as well. Oh, being a generalist is a weakness because I don't bring a certain specialty to the table that I can lean on when I go to another company. Maybe I want to make the jump to a software company and, and go get a 30%, 40% raise because I, I, I feel I've done all I can in this spot, right? And when it was me going through that, and I remember I talked to you about it directly, I believe, MJ. I was like, I don't know if I have any, uh, I don't know if I have a specialty that I bring to the table here that I can bank on when I get in a position like that. What I ended up finding was it was much more of a mental block and a confidence block for me than whether or not I had capability or not. And then I've found now that I'm working primarily with software companies, what my strengths are. They got, they ended up shining very quickly. And the things that really shined for me was one, my CRM knowledge is extremely high, especially in HubSpot um, and also in Salesforce. 
And two, like I'm much better doing deep reporting and analysis than I thought as I've kind of gone into it. I've, I've held my own more than I expected. And my content chops organically are pretty good as well. So, you know, I think all those things, if you're a generalist working and you and you perceive those things to be weaknesses, when you move on to your next role, you're going to find uh, if you get in the right env- environment for yourself, they are going to be enormous strengths that are going to carry you really far in your career. Uh, as a hiring manager, I know that there are people out there that I could hire that are exceptional in multiple areas, right? And so if you are truly crushing it in a, in a one-person marketing team role, you still might be, like you are, Matt, for example, one of the best demand gen people, even though you were not strictly a demand gen person for a very long time, you might be one of the best demand gen people and the best content people and the best product marketing people just because you are an exceptional human. Like I would love to find that person as a, as a hiring manager. And one of the things I do to try to see, like for product marketing, for example, I'm getting a lot of generalists that are just like marketing managers. I'll ask in the screening questions, why product marketing? And if you can give me like a compelling answer on why product marketing specifically, drawing on your past experience doing product marketing as a generalist marketing manager, then you're going to still be in my candidate screening pool, even though your job title isn't necessarily product marketing manager or demand gen manager. Like if you have that skill set because you have done it, it'll come through if the hiring manager knows what they're looking for. Yeah, totally agree with that. All right. Should we move on to the last hot take, which would be my hot take? Let's do it. All right. My hot take is um, for those who actually work in um, Salesforce or HubSpot, it's not going to be a huge surprise. But, um, you know, maybe maybe if there's someone who's in the sales seat or a CEO seat or a general manager seat listening who listens to this podcast or maybe you work in marketing and you want to send this to them, this may surprise you. But all in all, most almost every CRM I've seen from a manufacturing company, and I've drawn on a lot of them in my at this point in my career, I've looked at, oh, 30 of them at this point, probably almost every industrial one I see is an unmitigated disaster in some way, shape or form. And what I mean by that is all time and time again, I look at what they're measuring and it is either it is super basic or they have no idea how to normalize data to the point where they can derive anything strategic from what's happening in their business. And Mary, you know this from working at Gorilla. There are some manufacturing companies out there who still do not believe they need a CRM in the first place, which I think is at this point in 2022, an absolutely laughable proposition. How can you have any idea about the health of your business with uh, aside from doing a classic P&L statement um, on a month by month, quarter by quarter basis without a CRM? Like you are absolutely just driving the bus blind without a CRM at this point in your life. And if you have a CRM, chances are your CRM is not good because you haven't dedicated somebody to it who knows what they're doing. Do not put your IT manager in charge of your CRM. Hire someone who actually knows RevOps or 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 like hire someone who has a business intelligence background or something that brings a skill to the table who knows database management and have them fix your CRM for you. It will change your life in terms of what you're looking at on a day-to-day basis. And you will be able to see everywhere you are wasting money. And I guarantee you, you're wasting a ton somewhere. Sorry, was that was that hot take like a closing <laughs> argument? That like, was a super spicy take. Okay. <laughs> Hot. Mary, what do you think? No, like 100%, Matt, absolutely. And there is nothing that makes my stomach drop more than when 
we present data that's incomplete from a manufacturer's CRM. And we're on the phone with either the VP of sales or the CEO himself. And he says, well, I don't trust that data. Yeah. And that's your data. Exactly. It's your data. Like, well, why, why are you not trusting me? This is what is in your database. So what do you trust then at the end of the day? Like, wh- wh- what would you trust? Right. What would you trust if it's not in your CRM? If you, you hire people to literally update this on a weekly basis, at least to know what's going on in your business. Like, I, I don't know, like most companies are dropping at least 30,000, if not six figures on a CRM at this point, at this point, even the cheapest CRM out there is going to be 20 grand a year, you know, like that you can use. You can obviously pay, pay less for ones that are, are not usable whatsoever. So it's just, you know, you're, you're investing in this to literally look at the pulse of your business every day. You're not updating it. You are not even thinking about how you can make it better for yourself, which I think is, is, is a bigger indictment on the VP of sales or the sales leader of a company than anything is looking at the CRM and saying, how can we make this better? Instead, they look at it and go, oh, this is just the data that we have. And that is that that tell if you're a CEO and your VP of sales says that huge red flag about their ability to grow your company, uh, in, in my opinion. So um, two things. One, super tactical. Sometimes you can pull messy data out of the CRM and do some analysis and clean up on it in Excel oh, yeah, and Excel useful data. So that could help if you're in that specific situation where the CRM data straight raw out of the CRM is like not very good. Example of that at Firetrace, when we were just getting started with the CRM, we didn't have that cultural buy-in yet that everyone was updating it all the time. Um, but what I pulled out was like, I, this required some manual work on my part, but I ended up making this chart And it was like, uh, how many days did it take us to respond to an inbound lead? And did we win it or did we lose it? And what the chart showed, it had like 40 data points on it or something. It took me like two hours to build it. What the chart showed was, first of all, sometimes we were taking like 17 days to respond to an inbound lead. Secondly, there was a 100% chance that we would lose the opportunity if it took us more than 10 days. But we were winning them at like pretty high rates if we responded within two days. Now, right. the standard in SaaS is like five minutes or something. But like, it's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like eight hours. It's, it's, some, it's something like that. I don't like know. even if you can get it back to them in 48 hours, you can win so many more deals in manufacturing. And you show data like that. And everybody in the exec, around the exec table is like, well, this is obvious what we need to do. Like we need to respond right. in two days, right? And then you get what you want. So sometimes you got to, you know, pull some manual data and clean it up a little bit. But those are the conversations you should be starting, you know, yeah. as a result of your CRM. Um, one, of the best, one of the best things I ever presented on when I was at Benzel in my life, when, I was, when we were doing our annual sales meeting, and I remember pulling this data from my sales director and it blew his mind. But I basically went through all of our opportunities and categorized them by product category. And I said, okay, when we when we do these products, we do these products, we do these products. And I basically did, I basically showed him, here's the sales cycle of a closed one in this product group. And here's the sales cycle of a closed lost. And on all, on all of our core products, there was like a three to four month lag between the closed one sales cycle and the closed lost sales cycle. And we've had one product group where it was like, if we close one, we close it in three months. If it's closed loss, like in basically anytime it goes past 90 days, you lose it. Like it's like the, like it was just, it was automatic. And so like, I just put this in front of my sales director, my entire sales team, my president and our, and our managing director in Germany. And they all looked at it was just like, huh, 
And so, and, and I was just like, this is the kind of stuff to look at in your CRM. So if you want to talk about like, if you want to be a marketer and you want to like bring a lot of value to the table on the CRM, um, you know, if you're able to get in the CRM and find data points like this to, to surface up to your sales team, this is how you get, this is how you get yourself a lot more latitude to do the stuff that you want to do is give your sales team and your sales director and your executives, executive level, give them insights they don't know about and they don't have. I mean, that's really the crux of what we do at Refine. When we do the deep reporting and analysis, we basically give our clients insights that they don't have and don't know, and it helps drive the strategy going forward. You can do that in-house too. Um, you just have to commit yourself to, first off, I mean, we've done plenty of podcasts, I think at this point on CRMs, but just understand the, the sort of the, the, uh, as you would say, MJ, like the force functions in your, in your CRM that kind of, that you can, you can make as the fulcrum of your data and then spin reports off of that. And you can find all sorts of interesting stuff. If it is updated, and even if it's not updated, you can say, I put this together. This isn't entirely accurate, but it's directionally accurate. And this is a problem. Um, so one more thing I will add on this topic is like very early in my career, somebody I reported to was like, MJ, you're not cut out for sales. And at the time, <laughs> I like believed this person 100% because my like conception of what sales was, which I think is still the conception of most people in industrial companies, uh, for better or more likely for worse, is like, you got to be in the old boys club, right? You got to like have relationships. You got to look the same as everybody else. You got to stay in the same industry. You just bounce around between companies in that same industry. And you got to just like, like making small talk with this particular kind of person. That's it. That's what sales is. I was like, yeah, no, probably not for me. Right? Like, and, and then like, you know, months later, I literally watched a video in HubSpot Academy. Like I HubSpot Academy taught me how to do sales. Um, and it was like, you know, how to like reverse engineer a sales process with stages in your CRM or whatever. And it was like this process oriented approach. It's like deal stages should have entry criteria and ex exit criteria. And I was like, whoa, this is like strategic. It's like process oriented, right? Like the fact that companies are still not looking at sales that way in industrial is first of all, a disservice to those companies. But second of all, it's like exclusionary. You're missing out on like so many people who would be great talent in sales because you're not making sales a meritocracy in your business. Now that's mm -hmm. a hot take. Oh, that's a good hot take. Love that. That's a really good one. Yes. All right. Um, so let's recap these hot takes uh, in, in reverse order. One, your serum is a disaster. Go look at it closely and figure out what's broken. Um, two, uh, most people would rather hire uh, or should rather want to hire someone who comes from who, who's been a one man band or one woman band in an industrial company who has done well, as opposed to just another cog in the wheel in a, in a series C, series D software company. They will typically be a higher performer, especially over the long haul, once they kind of uh, smooth out any rough edges they may come in with. And then third is uh, if you're looking for good marketing talent and you're asking them to report to the VP of sales, you're not going to get good marketing talent. So um, that was. Uh, that's that's basically all of our hot takes, and then the other one is make sales make 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 sales hiring a meritocracy. That's like an added hot take for you. <laughs> hot take is that sales is not a meritocracy in in, in most industrial companies. There you go. All right, y'all. Well, I think that's it for the show. But uh, Mary, I want to give you the floor for one second because I know you're doing stuff at Gorilla, and I know you're the co-host of Industrial Marketing Live, which used to be my content program. 
Uh, yeah. and you have done an awesome job. Please, plus this is this is this is a podcast for industrial marketers. Of course, I'm going to let you plug your uh, industrial marketing program. So go for it. Heck yeah, we meet um, twice a month, first Tuesday and last Thursday of every month. Um, you can register at gorilla76.com. And if you have any questions about anything we talked about today, find me on LinkedIn, Mary Keogh, Gorilla76, and I would love to chat more. Love, love. I'll answer any DM that comes my way. There you go. Except for except for uh, pitch slaps, right? We, or do you answer? No, no time? pitch slaps. Okay. Or <laughs> or bad recruiting. <laughs> Good, good recruiting, though. I mean, <laughs> you don't have to answer that. <laughs> Mary Keo, rising star, Gorilla Seventy Six. Thanks for being on the show, Mary. Appreciate it. You can catch the Industrial Marketing Show on all the major podcasting platforms, and that only includes Apple and Spotify. Please subscribe to the Industrial Marketing Show. Leave us a five star review. Leave us a written review. Tell MJ and I how much you miss us having podcast every week, so we can think about doing it every week again. Um, and as always, our DMs are always open if you have a uh, show ID or anything like that. Um, and with that, I'm Matt. And I'm MJ. And this is the Industrial Marketing Show. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day.